Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel, and welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, we're going to talk about improving employee value with RPAs. We have a special guest from Catalytic, CEO Sean Chow, and also Neil Bahadur, Head of Partnerships. I recently had the opportunity to sit down with Sean Chow, CEO of Catalytic, and Neil Bahadur, Head of Partnerships of Catalytic, and we discussed where they fit in the market of RPAs and how RPAs are changing the value of employees from doing mundane, repetitive tasks to providing real value in their corporations through automation of back office to gain more back office efficiency. Let's hear what uh, Sean Chow has to say. One of the things that we've been kicking around, and this would just be interesting to get your read on it, is um, we, I just used this analogy on the call, Neil and I, on, who were on earlier, where we've been talking about what we want to accomplish. When we talk about the world of no code and the back office, the analog that we've been using recently, which is, I think, really interesting, on one hand, I really dislike it as a technologist, but I think it's really powerful for helping people understand what we do is um, WordPress for the back office, right? And and the reason why I think it, it's 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 fascinating because you know the when you think about WordPress and what it did was it took it took what we think of as like pretty simple now, right? Because of WordPress and many things that come after WordPress, most people think of creating a website as like a thing that they should be able to do. It's not like a really hard thing anymore. But prior to WordPress, it was. It was a really hard thing. You had to get like someone who understood domain names and get that registered and get that pointed in the right direction. You had to get a server in place. You had to install web server software. You had to get HTML pages. You needed a designer. If you wanted any sort of complexity on the back end, you needed developers who were familiar with CDI scripts. Just this whole mess of things and people that you needed to do what, again, we think of as very simple today. When you think about the back office, it's in that essentially pre-WordPress state, right? The, to make the back office efficient requires this huge cast of characters. You need developers, you need people who are doing things, you know, just uh, manually. You need consultants to come in and help you do these implementations. You need 10 different systems. So it is the same sort of mess, right? And part of what we want to do is the exact same thing that WordPress did for websites, which is to take something that is messy, hard, and requires a lot of different skills and make it so that in the same way that a designer now or a content expert can create a website on their own and a pretty sophisticated one, you know, a business analyst who's somewhat technical should be able to create a very complex back office solution on their own. And in the same way, and part of the reason that we picked that particular example is there is the role now of the WordPress developer. There is now the role of developers that work alongside platforms like WordPress. And so it hasn't diminished or subtracted away from that skill set. It's added a new layer of ways that people can bring those skills into something a lot more scalable. Well, you, you guys brought up a very interesting point that I've heard time and time again, right? Oh. RPAs are just replacing people, right? People are going to lose their jobs. And 
and automation in general um, makes people lose their job. But I'm glad you guys brought that out. No, it creates yeah. new jobs. It creates new opportunities that are much more valuable. The higher yeah, value, for sure. Right. Well, and this is this is the evolution of technology, right? I mean, again, if we want to stick with the WordPress example, you know, there at at the earliest stages of the of the web, there was a job where people were just registering domain names, right? And there was a job just installing, you know, Apache software on web servers. But those are low value jobs, right? Like those are not things that a developer would really relish doing today. So a developer who's working on a website today, knowing that a solution, and, and I say WordPress, but now there's a lot more software that's, you know, well and above that, like Wix, knowing that that kind of baseline foundation is so much more powerful and so much more robust, they can really focus on what creates specialness for whatever it is you're working on, right? Like I don't have to work on baseline stuff. I can create and focus on the things that just make things special. And if you think about the thing that drives this, like what what is what we've shown uh, to be insatiable is the customer's desire for an increasingly better and better experience. Right. And so that never goes down. It only goes up. And that almost ensures that any excess capacity, anyone who once was creating uh, or once was registering domain names now is going to be doing something else that's creating more value for improving that customer experience. Yeah. So you, you sold me on RPAs. I get it. <laughs> I, I totally get it, right? What makes you know catalytic unique? Because so, I mean, it's uh, a it's a it's a field that has been around for some time. They just renamed it. I think you know that, right? I mean, I remember dealing with these types of tools uh, when I was a configuration management or buildmeister and yes. automating our tests, you know, our UI testing and all that stuff. So, what's unique about what you guys have? I mean. I, I can go pick up uh, sev several different tools that are, you know, huge, hugely funded, like UiPath or Blue Prism. So, what makes yep. you guys different from them? Well, let's talk a little bit about the history and the evolution uh, of the products that you're talking about, because I think there's a lot of truth in that statement. And there's also a couple of different evolutionary branches that we differ. So if you look at UiPath, if you look at Blue Prism, if you look at Automation, where kind of the top three RPA players, they fundamentally evolved from one of two different things that most people, one thing that a lot of people can relate to and another thing that not as many people can relate to, but you probably would be able to as a former configuration manager and in the DevOps space. The first thing that most people can relate to is an Excel macro. So many people have used that record function in Excel and then the playback function, right? In many ways, that's like a really good representation of where those three RPA players started. It's not where they are today, but that's where they started, right? The other analog, which I think you would appreciate and anyone more technical might be able to appreciate is essentially uh, testing automation software. So looking at, um, like Rational Robot, actually, to, to pick a product that has the word robot that, in it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or Windrunner, right? Like, and the idea there is, hey, I'm actually mostly testing. And 
at some point, like the, I don't know what the real genesis of RPA software was, but at some point in my mind, someone said, hey, instead of rational robot just being you know, used for testing, why don't we actually turn on the production site? And, you know, bam, the field of RPA was born. Okay, so that's one evolutionary line. Now, that's actually not at all the line that we came from. So the first difference, I would say, and one of the biggest differences that will shape all the rest of our story versus, you know, our pay players is that we don't come from that surface automation. We don't come from that screen-oriented view of automation. We actually come much more from the line of, if you think about something like, um, think about something like Asana, Right, where they're focused on project management. And it's like, it starts with this idea of a to-do list, right? In my mind, when I started Catalytic, I was actually focused more on that, less on automation of, you know, emulating people and more about, hey, you have project management software that's just great at helping people who are trying to figure out and assemble their tasks. And I've used project management software in the past to try to say, 80% of my business now is business as usual. So I don't need, it's not all projects, but I, I need orchestration of those processes, right? Like I need those SOPs to be well-defined, well-understood, and I need people to be able to execute against them very reliably. And I need to understand the cycle times, I need to understand opportunities for improvement. So it was almost a Six Sigma lean type of approach to business as usual, right? And so that's actually more of our evolutionary branch. Now, what happens the minute you start looking at that, or at least the minute we start looking at that, is when we started saying, okay, so 85% or 85% or more of a business is, you know, business as usual, and we can define a lot of operations in business as usual and in some sort of list. The minute you start constructing that list, you start saying, wait a minute, so Neil is going to, you know, um, he starts a document from the customer, and then the first thing he does is he emails me to say, Sean, you know, can you review this document and pull out the key terms that are really interesting? And then I send it, once I'm done, back to him and get his approval. As we started looking at the actual processes for these business-as-usual type operations, it became very obvious to us early on that a lot of times the platform should be able to do some of these tasks. And the simplest one, the very first automated action that we added was a notification. And we just went to our customer and said, wait a minute, your, your you know, employee actually spends a lot of their time just like emailing people, right? And uh, what if we took that, took that step that occurs in your process and we created this notion of an automated action would you value them? And they were, of course, like, yeah, absolutely. If you could save our people from having to do that, we'd love that. And then that really set us, like that single initial automated action set us on this trajectory to create more and more actions. And what we realized is like, we're not going to solve every single action uh, or every single possible thing that can be automated. So we also started creating this concept of an ecosystem. And the ecosystem allows us to really amplify the capabilities of our platform through third-party partners like Google. You know, we're not going to learn and figure out OCR better than Google and Microsoft and IBM. Right. So we should leverage their technology. So they're part of our ecosystem, right? And um, and then you get this notion of 
kind of composable business work. And that is capturing our platform also through the ecosystem in that people can create a workflow on our system and then save that as essentially a individual unit of work. And an example of that might just be, um, you know, if I want to create a customer record, maybe there's like six very standardized steps to create a customer record. Rather than have to worry about those six steps every time, I can now create that once, save it as one, what we call an action, which is our unit of work on our platform. And then I can share that with the entire team. Right. This so, is something I, I really, I, I, I want to, I, I love this because you guys have taken like a software developer's approach to solving these hard problems where I'm sharing code, even though it's not code, yes. sharing actions, um, which makes it much easier so that individuals can now compose things, right? Yeah. Um, instead of there's being this big, huge, you know, workflow that with all these conditionals and, and very complex, um, hard well, to manage, hard, hard to do all that. It sounds like you guys really took a, a really um, thoughtful approach to the deployment and management of these actions. Yes, including things like being able to deploy them or being able to provision and deploy and manage everything in the cloud. So on our platform, cloud is not an afterthought. It's not a thing that you know we created after the fact. We created a cloud platform from scratch. Um, so everything we do is all you know centered around the cloud. Now we have the ability to go work with on-premise systems and these hybrid environments that are really popular. But we started with the idea that things are in the cloud. Going back to your configuration manager days, so I don't. Did you ever use like a build, like build systems like Ant or something oh, like that? I'll, I'll go even further back. CMake. I was a clear case admin. You oh yeah, that? okay. Yeah, I mean that was that was the golden ticket back at the time because clear case was so complicated, right? Yes. And build yes. systems were so hard um, to manage, mm -hmm. and um, so that's why I appreciate what you guys are saying because you you've kind of simplified. Uh, some of that stuff. Yeah. A lot of it so, is taking a lot of the extra steps out, but even more of it is changing the division of labor around a little bit too. So I think one of the things you were talking about was this like, hey, so what's really different about us versus kind of anybody else? And I think it's, we just went for a different group of people, right? Sean, I think drop the mic. We, we, um, we, we went for a different population of people that are closer to the actual process, right? And so if you go to people that are closer to the process, you get rid of this telephone game of, I have a business problem. I now have to explain it to somebody who has to explain it to a piece of technology, who then has to explain it to a lower level. I, I totally, totally agree with that. Right? And, and so yeah. the notion of efficiency is very quickly lost when you have four handoffs to get to the end state, right? No, that makes sense. I, I remember um, with build systems like at, at Fieldglass, my uh, my pre previous company, we use, we were a Java shop, so we use Ant for uh -huh. you know some things. And I remember like we would take the concept of Ant, and we we just like we kind of went crazy, right? Like we had so many different build scripts, and it was all in the interest of squeezing out every bit of efficiency that we could get because we were like an efficiency obsessed company, and we also did this follow the sun model, so. 
the the idea of handoffs and you know having a very efficient build system that would detect bugs and like reject them before you try handing them off yeah, automatically of course, yeah. was really, really important. Yeah, totally important. Uh, critical to actually being able to successfully implement that model. And so I remember when we were um, starting to really introduce the idea of these automated actions and catalytic that it immediately to me, having you know used Ant a lot, I just started thinking, wait, what we're kind of doing is, you know, a build a build uh, manager for the business where business folks can actually do it themselves. Because it was it was magical in a DevOps environment, right? Like it allowed you to do things that you just would not be able to do if you tried to do it all manually. But it didn't exist in the world of business. No, I I love what you said there. I think it's a it's a keynote there, which is we're 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 taking the DevOps world and moving into the business world on all yeah. that automation, all the um, I'm going to say avoidance, um, yeah. whether it's conflict avoidance or whether it's just handoff avoidance, it can go away. Right, um, yeah. and you actually simplify the end, the user interaction process, which I think is key. Yep. I mean, that's that's a, a very important aspect. Right, and if you think about like the the magic of the build system, <laughs> the build systems became more powerful based on the the more pieces of your uh, infrastructure that it could pull in, the more powerful it became. So if it could interact with your SCM system to pull in the code, if it could actually work with your servers to be able to do the deploy, if it can actually do, you know, interact with rational robot to do the automated testing, like the more it can kind of trigger, the more um, you could essentially encapsulate into this build system. For us, the analog there is all around our actions. You know, the more actions we have, the more we're able to, from a business perspective, pull together the combination, the messy combination today that exists uh, in, in most back offices of people working with, you know, six different systems for doing one thing and like a spreadsheet and email and then having to have to like walk paper over in some cases to things. I mean, it's just kind of this mess. And the more we can kind of, yeah, the more we can digitize that and the more we can kind of capture that, the, the more powerful our system becomes. A lot of it too is about where the differentiation truly occurs. And so if you think about the kinds of things that truly differentiate great technology, it's not usually who did the best deploy and who did the best build and who got the best connectivity between two systems. A lot of it is the logic that sits on top. So if you go ask most of the companies that are leading the software market, I don't know that anyone would claim that they picked the best hosting provider and that's the reason that they're winning in the market, right? Of course not, yeah. And so if you think about the genius of where competitive advantage is going to be as people become increasingly digital companies, it's going to be in what lives inside of the brains of the people that are running key aspects of their business and using the technologists in the best way possible, in the highest value way possible. So does you no good to go hire you know, the sharpest PhDs out of Stanford to only have them go and wrestle with trying to get dependencies to be resolved during a build, right? That's not a great use. Right of that time and energy and expertise. So then the question is, how do you enable them to spend almost 100% of their time on high value work all the way through, right? And so that concept of like, 
low value and high value is very common in RPA, but it's used as a sword to go and cut groups. And we want to use it as a shield to protect people, to actually have them do the things that make great use of their time and actually deliver a competitive advantage. And then the, the kind of closing example I like to use with that is, let's say today you go and take your process that you're doing in the back office that you believe is totally perfect. All you have to do is do it faster. It's, it's remarkably excellent. You've thought of everything that you've ever done. Great. Go and script it in RPA. And now you've committed to doing it exactly that way forever for the rest of your lives, right? Now you can go and remove that group off of your payroll. You've saved a great amount of money and it's a wonderful win for that year. What happens two quarters out when you need to go find your next incremental gain? Well, you got rid of the people that were smart enough to know how to do the process better. You now have a script that is actually impossible for you to fix without developer help. And you now have to go and find the next innovation, but you've got rid of all the people who could do the innovation and you're left with technology that's more brittle than you had there before. So you're being tasked with innovation and all the key ingredients that you have to innovate. You, like you got rid people. of. Yeah. Got rid of it. Right. So, so that's kind of the that's the catch twenty-two of saying, I'm just gonna take exactly what I have and lift and shift it is it worked once with BPO, it'll work once again with RPA, and then what's your next move after that, right? How do you answer for innovation the next quarter when your tools for innovation you've kindly walked out of the door? Thank you, Neil. That's very insightful. You know, join us next time for our podcast uh, where we continue the conversation with Sean and Neil and we talk about the no-code approach to back office efficiency. Thanks for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you liked our episode, go ahead and give us five stars on your favorite podcast or video streaming site. You can also find out more on embracingdigital.com. Until next time, Keep moving forward and embrace the digital revolution.